Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I'm going to preach to you from the book of Zechariah. Now at the time that this all takes place is around 520 BC. And Israel, I don't know if you even realize this, but they were taken into captivity. Okay, now the 20 years, this is 20 years after they've been set free from captivity. And so when they, when they were set free, it was like they just ran. They just got out. They were excited. They're, gonna, they're, they're ready to dream again. They're ready to go. And so they said, oh, well, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to build a temple to the Lord. You know, because that's one of the first things that you do. So they say, all right, let's do that. So they start to build it. The problem is they encounter significant opposition to that temple being built. So 20 years later, they are still waiting to see progression. Now, they were excited, but at the time that Zechariah begins to speak to them, morale is at an all-time low. They are not happy about what's going on. They're saying, I don't even know if we're going to get this dream off the ground. Nothing's happening. There's always setbacks. It's time for them to dream again. So what God does is he speaks through his prophet, Zechariah, and he he gives him this message. And he says, I want you to encourage the people. Now, this is interesting because what he does is he gives him seven visions and one daydream. Now, the weird part about this is um, I wrote down that I wanted to preach From this passage, from this scripture, Zechariah chapter 4, months ago, I wrote down that I wanted to preach from this. And I I actually had titled the message Daydreams, right? And I didn't even know what that meant, but I just scribbled it all down. I find it so amazing that chapter 4 is a chapter that deals with the guy who gets woken up. In other words, he has a daydream. I'm saying to you that God is inspiring what he's about to speak to us tonight. So why don't we look? I'm going to go to the first slide. Now remember, this is prophetic language. It's confusing. I'm going to explain it all to you in just a moment. Let's pull up that first slide. Anytime now. Don't leave me hanging. All right, here we go. It says, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me. All right, so now he's awake, but he's about to have a dream. What would you call that? A daydream. All right. He says, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps in it and seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. With me so far? Even though I'm confused, all right? It says, and there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these for, my Lord? Next slide. And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, as if you would, come on, serious. And he says, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, a great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward the top stone or the capstone. He shall bring that forward amid shouts, grace, grace to it. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will also complete it. 
And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches? He still doesn't know what the olive branch is all about. Fair enough too. What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Who is well and truly confused tonight? Awesome, you're in good company, but we're going to work through this together. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray tonight for a spirit of revelation because to understand what is in your word sometimes, it's what we need. So Father, I pray that tonight you'd speak to us. I know that even because you gave me the passage and the title, when I didn't understand that this was a daydream, it says to me that you wanted to speak into the lives of people that are sitting here tonight. Oh Lord, I believe that tonight no one is here by accident. We may have just turned up tonight. We just consider ourselves a guest or however we came to be here tonight. I believe, God, that you want to speak to people through your words. So we pray that you would help interpret this message for us. That as we lean into your word, I pray that we would understand you, these things. We want to be transformed by you. So God, we just give you these next few moments in your name. Amen. I want to tell you that when I was a kid, I've told you the story before, I wanted to be a squishy bus driver. Now, you already know that, right? Not a squishy bus driver, all right? I had no goals to be squishy, but I wanted to drive the bus that bends in the middle, the squishy bus, all right? Why? Because it's the coolest job in the world. What's wrong with you, okay? So when I was a kid, I thought, this is the best job in the world. I remember being on the bus and standing in the middle as it went around a bend. I'm like, this is awesome. So I wanted to do that. Now, I've told you that before, but here's one of the things I didn't tell you. When I was a kid, my mom would say to me, and this was probably the longest running, I don't want to call it career aspiration, but this is what I wanted to do with my life. She said, Ben, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a pastor. That's what I said when I was a kid. I said, I want to be a pastor. That was, that, was my, that was my dream, one of my dreams. And so anyway, when I was about seven years old at the church that I was at, I went to get baptized. And many people criticized my mum because they said, he's seven. You should wait till he's older. He doesn't understand what he's doing. They thought that she was trying to be super spiritual by getting all her kids baptized early so that she looked like a good parent. And so they said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So then it came time for me to get baptized, and I'm standing in the, in the baptismal. And then the pastor comes up to me, and he leans the microphone to me like this. He says, Ben, why don't you tell us why you want to get baptized? Leans it to me like this. I looked at him. I didn't know that he just wanted me to speak into it like this. So I took it from him, and I, then I preached my first sermon. It went for five minutes. I've never preached under since, all right? And so I gave my first sermon when I was, you know, seven years old. And I told them exactly what I thought baptism was all about. You know what happened? They said, he knows what he's talking about. And then the second thing that came, boy, do people flip. They say, that kid's going to be a pastor. First of all, he doesn't know what he's doing. Next, he's going to be a pastor. It's funny how people just change their opinions based on what they see. You know, I learned something about this. Growing up, I never stopped dreaming. I remember falling asleep in maths, dreaming. This is the wrong kind of dreaming. But, and, and my teacher, you know, she would come and lean over me. Somebody said, um, I heard them say this. They said, Ben's sleeping, in, and it was in the middle of maths. And I think she just looked at me like a lost cause. She said, you know what? Just leave him. Let him sleep. This is year 12, okay? This is not good for my, for my final scores, all right? I know. But, but, but I just, part of the way, I just slept through it, all right? But I kept dreaming. Do you know when I, when I started working full-time, I'll tell you this. I stood 
or, or, or actually even seated in meetings, really awesome, exciting accounting meetings talking about budgets. I tried to say that with enthusiasm, but I know I didn't win you over. It was boring, okay? But important, but boring. So I'm sitting in these meetings talking about accounting, and here's our budget, and this is what we've got to do, and how much revenue are we generating, and all these conversations, right? Everyone's engaged in it because it's real important. There I am, staring out the window, looking at the trees and all the rest of it, totally oblivious, like half listening, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about what God could do with my life if I give it completely to Him. This is, I'm not even lying about this. I said, I wonder what God could do with my life if I just handed it utterly over to Him. And I would dream about that. And then the thing is, the part of my dream, it became reality. They said, oh, Ben, I want you to come on staff and be a pastor. You know, I'm telling you right now, I dream about these things because God put it in me. And I'm telling you that God puts dreams inside of you. He speaks to our future through dreams and visions. What does the Bible say? In the last days, right? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters. What should we do? We will prophesy. We will dream dreams. We will have visions. These are the things that we should expect. In fact, if you look through all the Old, the, the Old Testament, you will see that the language of the spirit is dreams and visions. People are continually getting dreams. So this is one of the ways that God speaks to us. Now I tell you, sometimes it's hard to know when it's just you daydreaming. Or when it's God speaking. Sometimes it's hard to know. It's like, I don't know if this is from you, God. Sometimes it's just worth entertaining the dream anyway to see where it goes and committing it to God. I'll give you a, a clue straight up. If you're wondering if God is speaking to you, He will tell you things that are not in the Bible. But if He ever tells you anything that contradicts the Bible, it's not from Him. So that's one of the best ways you know straight up whether God is speaking to you or not. Now that tells me another thing is that if I want to know if God's speaking to me, I have to understand this book. Because then when He speaks to me, if I don't understand what it says, I have no way of proofing what I hear in my mind or what I hear in my heart. So I read this word to understand it so I know whether He's speaking to me or not. I've turned 35 this year, all right? Now, thank you for your woo. I turned 35 this year. Some of my dreams are slipping away. I'll never be a professional athlete in anything. I thought, that sounds like a great job. Uh, but I know, uh, the thing is, is that I still feel young. And I feel like all the AFL footballers, they should be older than me. They're not. They're all younger than me. And I think to myself, I'm getting too old. And I'm like, I'm 35 this year. How can I be too old for anything, right? But the truth is, is that time is moving and it's starting to slip away. And when it starts to slip away, you used to go, oh, it's running out. I've got to pursue what God said to me, right? My point is this, just make sure you're pursuing the right dreams. Just make sure you're going after what God said to you. If you start to pursue something that God hasn't spoken to you, you could make a big mistake. We're going to watch a clip right now with a guy who I think did this very thing. Seven years of auditions, searching for the best. And then, in walks this guy. Oh, my name's Vin, and I'm 19. I think I can be the next Australian Idol. Makes me feel sad for the I'm singing um, Imagine by John Lennon, and um, the reason why I sang that, I'm singing that song is because it's my favourite song, and um, I feel um, when I hear that song, I feel a connection to, with that song, because I also, um, 
Um, yeah. Do you imagine? Yes. So, Vin, what are you going to sing for us? Imagine by John Lennon? Right. Take your time, breathe, focus, right? We want you to be great. What's happening here? Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. <coughs> Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. This is a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> is it not? Do you have anything else? <laughs> Maybe something a bit more of tempo? Somewhere over the rainbow It's exactly the same as the last one. Vin. Yes. Over here, mate. Look, um, didn't flow as well as the original, as I remember, but um, I don't really think we can do anything for it. You have to go now, I'm afraid. Thank you. So it's four no's for Vin. Or is it? Is that, does that mean, does that mean no? Uh, sometimes you can only do so much for people, right? Here's my question. Where is his friends? Like, why didn't they not tell him that he should not do that? Actually, we, we sort of cut the clip because it was too long. And he said that all his friends at work encouraged him to go for it. So you have some bad friends. You know, someone should have told him that it was not going to work out. But this is the thing, you know, he sang it himself. Some may say, I'm a dreamer, right? Yep, you were dreaming, man, because, uh, because you can't sing. And this is the thing. Let me explain this to you. When God gives you a dream, it will be in line with your gifting. So sometimes people, they think crazy things. Like God is going to give them this gift. And as they step out, the gift will suddenly manifest, right? Trust me. You cannot do all things through Christ. You know, sometimes you just need to be gifted and wired for it. That is why when you feel like God is speaking to you about uh, a ministry call or some gifting or something that he wants to do with your life, you go and you see people of wisdom and you let them speak into your life. Now, sometimes people are going to say to you, no, you shouldn't do that. And it's going to be wisdom. But sometimes people are going to try and talk you out of it. Sometimes you try to talk yourself out of it. Because the thing is, I find this, is often with Christian people, God can put a dream in their heart and they talk themselves out of it because they don't feel like they've got the capacity. They don't feel like they're worthy of doing it. They don't feel qualified to do it. You may not feel qualified for what God has for you. That's okay. Sometimes God comes and He taps you on the shoulder and He chooses you anyway. And I'll tell you why, because God sees what you cannot see. 
He sees what you cannot see. He sees what you cannot see. You look at yourself, sometimes you think, I don't know if I can do it. God sees beyond your limitations. So the angel comes to uh, Zechariah and he says to him, wake up. And he says, what do you see? I don't think that the angel said that because he needed to go to Specsavers. The, the angel did not need glasses. So why did he ask the question? You know, I think sometimes God's just interested in what we see. I think sometimes he wants to see where our faith is at. He says, you know what? I know what I see. And, I, and you got to know God, he sees reality. But he says, but what do you see? Sometimes we can only see with limitations. Let me tell you what happened to Israel as a culture, as a community. 20 years after they were free, all they've done is lay the foundation for a temple and they have been working at it. But every time they go to work at it, they encounter opposition. So what do they see? They see failure. They feel like giving up. They feel like it's not worth trying anymore. I'll tell you something. God dreams encounter opposition. So just get ready for it. Because God dreams encounter opposition. Don't expect the devil to go along with God's plan for your life. He's not thrilled about you pursuing your calling. He's not thrilled about you stepping out in faith. In other words, what He will do is He will seek to discourage you at every turn to turn you away from what God may want to do in your life. I remember years ago, I was serving on a team at church and somebody, a leader, came to me and they said to me, you would never make it on a church team. They said, you, will never, you would never be able to make it here. They said, you know, I, I don't think that you can go down this path. They said all this stuff. And I had a choice then. I could accept what they said or I could listen to what God said. But they spoke these things over me and into my life. You don't have the capacity to be a pastor. And so maybe they were right, you know, um, you know, maybe I wasn't on the team. Maybe I was just meant to lead the church. Maybe they got it wrong. I don't know, but that's kind of what I'm doing now anyway. Zechariah is given the most bizarre picture to encourage Israel because they're at a place where they're leaning into their circumstances and they're starting to believe that maybe they never build this temple. And so he gets this bizarre picture. Let me read the scripture to you. This is going to be strange. I have edited it for your benefit. So hopefully it starts to make more sense. Let's go to that first slide. All right. He says, and I lifted my eyes and saw. This is Zechariah. This is still a vision. This is a dream. This is prophetic language. He says, I lifted my eyes and saw and behold, four horns. The horns represent nations. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? Good question. And he said, these are the nations that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. Craftsmen are tradies. So first of all, he sees four horns, which represent nations. And then he sees four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? What are the tradies here to do? He said, these are the nations that have scattered Judah, and these have come to terrify them. Next slide. No. Is that all there? Okay, all right. No, go back. No, don't worry. He said, these are the ones that have come to terrify them. Now, the thing is, I think about this scripture that we read. There's four nations and there's four treaties. 
Now the tradies, listen in, listen into this, all right? Let me tell you what they were not. You already know that they're tradesmen. You already know that they're crafts, craftsmen, all right? Here's what they are not. They are not military leaders. They are not rulers. They are not scholars. They, 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 they're, they're none of these things. They're not great leaders. They're, they're none of these things. They are just actually ordinary people. And it says that four tradies have come to terrify four nations. Now, when you see four tradies, do you think that they could intimidate and terrify four nations? What would you see? Four tradies. Do you know any tradies? Are they the kind of people that could terrify entire nations? No. They, you know, okay, some of them are. They're not going to terrify entire four nations. What do you see? And this is my point, is that oftentimes we don't see what God sees. This is the picture of power wrapped in weakness. Now, when we look at our own lives, oftentimes we look at what's on the outside. We look at the weakness. We look at what can't be done. But sometimes what God does is He clothes power in weakness. If you're alive when Jesus walked on the earth and somebody said, this is God, you would say, no way. Why? It, he doesn't look like God. No one knows what God looks like, but He doesn't look like that. It's the power of God. Do you understand that when Jesus functioned on earth as God, He had all of His power? That He was fully God. He was fully man at the same time. And yet people would look at Him and they'd say, no way. What do you think they thought as He was dying on the cross? They said, there is no way that this person is God. If He was God, He would pull Himself down from there. If He was God, He would not be in this position. And my point is this, is that sometimes we just don't see what God sees. Sometimes we see the weakness on the outside. We don't understand that God is doing something on the inside. So let me ask you the question again about what you see. What could be so frightening about four tradies that could terrify the nations? What would terrify them? Can I tell you? Because tradies build temples. Tradies build temples. And what he's saying is, is that these guys are going to build a temple for me. And when they built this temple for me, everyone can watch out. Everyone better get ready. You would be surprised what happens and how God moves when you use the gifts that He's given you to serve His kingdom. The four tradesmen, all they do is they use their gifts to build a temple and it terrified the opposition. It terrified the nations. I'm telling you right now, God sees what you cannot see in yourself. Because when you look in the mirror, what you see is sometimes your past failures. What you see sometimes is your limitations. When God looks at you, you know what He sees? He sees unlimited grace being poured out into your life. So you look at yourself and your own capacity and say, I don't even know if I've got the ability to do that. But God goes, ah, oh, no. I know what I could do with your life when I pour out my provisional grace on you. I know what I can do with your future. I know all of your past. Get this. God chose you knowing your past and He wants to do something new with your future. So sometimes we just look in the mirror and we say, I don't see much, but if you do, I'm on for the ride. Why don't you just take me down the path that you want to take me? But... Note this, if you pursue God dreams, if you pursue God dreams, you will encounter opposition. People, they might not always see what God has shown you. They might not always see what God has shown you. In fact, we read a story in a couple of weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, about this man named Eliab. And Eliab was David who defeated Goliath. He was David's brother. 
And so when David comes down to defeat this giant, he comes down to defeat Goliath. What did Eliab say to him? He says to him, what are you doing here? He says, you know what? Get back to the sheep folds. That's what you're good for. You're just a sheep herder. You're just a sheep boy. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the ability to do this. So why don't you get rid of the evil that's in your heart? The evil that's in your heart. He showed up and slayed a, Gol- a, Gol- a Goliath who was threatening all Israel. There was no evil in his heart. He just trusted God. But I'm telling you right now, Eliab, he did not have the things of God in his heart as he spoke to David. Neither did Peter when he said to Jesus, he said, oh, no, 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 Lord, you'll never die. Don't die. And what did he say to him? He said, get behind me. Who? Get behind me. Who? Right. Get behind me, Satan. I always thought that was such a strong thing to say. It's like you turn to one of your, I would never do this to a friend. They say something peculiar and I say, get behind me, Satan. I think that's a weird thing to say to your friend. But here's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I know, Peter, the intentions of your heart are just good towards me, but you don't have the things of God in mind when you speak those words. And you would be surprised the people that can speak into your life that don't have the things of God in mind as they begin to speak over you. See, sometimes people, they look at just the weakness on the outside. They don't understand the power that's on the inside. By the way, let me say this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it lives in you. Now, if that same spirit has the ability to raise Christ from the dead, when you see what's on the outside, I would say that is the picture of power wrapped in weakness. It is a picture of God on the inside. What does the Bible say? Is that our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit. So He dwells on the inside. I'm telling you right now, the most amazing power in the universe dwells inside this weakness. But oftentimes, all we see is the weakness. So we don't understand what God is wanting to do. So what God does to overcome the weaknesses, you know what He does? He gives us enabling grace, special favor, divine special favor, grace. You know what the word is we use for this? We use the word anointing. He anoints people with a special favor and grace to break through what would be impossible elseways. In other words, you would no way you could do it, but he says, no, 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 I'm going to anoint you. And as I anoint you, there will be special favor in your life to overcome all the obstacles and the issues that you face in life. And you will break through. Why? Because I am with you. And when I'm with you, you don't need to be afraid. When I'm with you, you don't have to step back. When I'm with you, you don't have to live in fear. When I'm with you, here's the cool thing that Jesus said to us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. And so He anoints specific people for specific tasks. Let me go to that next scripture because I need to explain this to you. He says, what are these two branches? All right, He asks this question like three times. He really doesn't know what they are. He says, what are these branches? two branches of the olive trees. And he being the angel said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. What do olive trees produce? Olives. That was not a trick question. Some of you didn't know. I will pray for you tonight. Drive home safely. (laughs) Olives come from olive trees. What do you make oil from? The olives. You know what they used to do in the Old Testament? They would get oil pressed from olives. And when someone had a task to do, they would take that oil and they would just pour it all over them. And it would run all over them. And what they were saying is, here is a person that's been anointed by God. And 
These two olive trees, they represent two anointed people that are about to break through in Israel. And these guys are going to see this temple come to reality. They're going to see this dream of creating a temple come to pass. The first anointed one is the person we read about. His name is Zerubbabel. And in four times in Haggai, it says that Zerubbabel is a governor. Just a governor. No one special. How is a governor supposed to break through all the opposition that for 20 years has made that community meet with failure when it came to building that temple? How is he going to do it? We already have the answer. Here's what God says through Zechariah to Zerubbabel. He says, you go to Zerubbabel and you tell him, it's not by his might that he will do this. It's not by his might. It's not by his power, but it's by his spirit. It's by God's spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. How many times have you tried to break through obstacles with your own might? with your own strategy, with your own ability. And all you need to do sometimes is actually get into your prayer closet and say, you know what? I'm meeting with opposition. I know I can't overcome these odds, but here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to pray. And then it's not by my might, it's not by my power, but it's by God's Spirit. See, Zerubbabel was anointed for the task of building this temple. And you know what it says? It says, Who are you, O great mountain? Who are you, O great mountain, to stand in the way of Zerubbabel? He said, you great mountain, which by the way, in Jewish culture, represented impossible problems. He says, you impossible problems that have plagued this nation for 20 years, you will become a plain. I love that. I love that. A plain. In other words, God is going to bring that mountain so low that we just walk right over our impossible problems. That's anointing, that's favour, that's grace, and that's how it works. It's not by your might, it's not by your power, but it's by the Spirit of God that impossible problems are solved. It said that, you know what? Not only that, but He gives them the end of the picture. He says at the very end, He's going to take the capstone, all right? The top stone, it's the last stone that you put on the temple. He says, Zerubbabel is going to do it. In other words, it's going to happen in his lifetime. He says, you will place the capstone amongst cheers and shouts from an entire community that say grace, grace to it, grace to it. You know why? Because it's only by grace, the grace of God, that actually they could build that temple in the first place. I tell you this, that is pretty special. Zerubbabel, if you look at his business card, here's what it says. It says, Zerubbabel, that's a weird thing to have on your business card as it is, but if it's your name, then fine. It says Zerubbabel, governor. That's his title. His title is simply governor. But even though his title was governor, how many of us understand that he was a temple builder? His title said governor. He was a temple builder wrapped up in the picture of a governor. And nobody probably saw it, which is why God came to Zechariah and said, you tell this guy, I know he thinks he's only a governor. But I'm telling you right now, he's a temple builder. He's my chosen instrument and he will build that temple and he will lay the capstone on it. How many of you understand that you're employed to do a job, but you're employed by God for ministry wherever you find yourself? If you have, I don't, I don't really care what your title is at work, assistant manager. What, what is your calling in that place? Let, let this be said, most ministry should happen outside of the church because that's where we are most of the time. 
Ministry should happen out there, not in here. I mean, it happens in here too, but come on, we're out there most of our weeks. So that's where all the ministry should be going on. So whatever your title is, do you know what God's called you to do? Do you know what your ministry call is? Do you know what you're anointed for? Do you know what the favourite is that's on your life? Let me move through this quickly. Zerubbabel was the first anointed, the olive tree that we read about, but there were two. Let's bring up that next Scripture. Here's the second one. It says, He showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Do you know that it says that Satan, that he is the accuser of the brethren? In other words, he is the accuser of all Christians. He stands in the place of condemnation and he heaps so much shame and guilt from you. You know why? Because if he can keep you from the presence of God, he can stop you from pursuing the call that's on your life. And the Lord said to Satan, are you ready for this? This is so good. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, for the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. This is not a brand which means a burning stick. He says, this is not a burning stick plucked from the fire or is not this a burning stick plucked from the fire? In other words, he says, Joshua, yeah, sure, he was in the fire, but I've plucked him out of it. That is what God does with you. He comes to you and he plucks you out of the fire that you find yourself in. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel and clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity, which is your guilt, which is your shame, which is your sin. I have taken your guilt, your shame, your sin away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Well, Zechariah is so enthusiastic about everything that he sees, he even decides to jump in on it. So Zechariah pipes up and he says, well, let them put a clean turban on his head as well. And so they said, all right, Zechariah, fair enough. And so they put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord was standing by when you gave your life to Jesus, what He did is He removed all the filthy garments from your life and He clothes you in righteousness. Now here's the mistake that people make. They think that Christians are self-righteous. We are not self-righteous. We are righteous by Christ. We are righteous by the work that He does. You are something the Bible calls justified. It not only means that you're forgiven of all your sin, but you wear the righteousness of Christ. Get this, the next time, you feel like your garments are filthy. The next time you feel like you can't come before your Father because you've made mistakes. The next time your guilt visits you and your accuser points you out, He says, no, 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 no. You can't do any of those things. I know you. I know what you did last week. I know what you said to that person. I know that that mistake that you made, you remember one thing. Jesus has forgiven you for all of that. He removed your sins as far as the east is from the west and then clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. So you with confidence can come before your Father in heaven and begin to pray some bold prayers. I love this because I'm telling you right now, God would not let your sin get between Him and you. He made everything right so that when He gave you purpose, you wouldn't stand and say, I don't have the capacity to do this. He already knows that about you. Guess what? That is not a surprise for Him tonight. It's not a surprise to Him that you have somewhat of a limited capacity. He goes, that's why I chose you. I used the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things to shame the, come on, to shame the, amen. You see what God wants to do with your life? So who is Joshua? Joshua represented the community. And what he said, he represents us. He said, you know what? The community, they don't feel like they're able to do this. 
They are the second olive branch. He says, I'm going to anoint them to be able to do it. And I'm going to remove all their sin from them. So they will be able to do the task that leads before them. Jesus shouts, grace, grace to your mountains that need to be removed. It's by grace that all your mountains are removed anyway. We hear the voice of the accuser. We do. We hear the voice of our accuser. Can you hear the voice of your Saviour? Do you hear the voice of your Saviour that says, take that filthy garment off Him, clothe Him in the clothes that He was made for. Put Him in righteousness, put Him in right standing before God. See, you can't listen to the devil without listening to the response from your Saviour. And you know what? I believe this so strongly in the power of God's anointing that here's what we're gonna do next week. We're gonna anoint every single person in this room. Every single person, we're gonna anoint you. Now, I've got good news for you. We're not gonna do it old school, so there'll be no pouring all over your head. The clothes that you came in with are the clothes that you can leave with. But what we are gonna do, we'll put a little mark on you and say, you know what? We know you were designed for something greater than what you're living for right now. And we're gonna put a little mark on you. We say, you know what? We're gonna bless you in Jesus' name. We're gonna anoint you for your future. We're gonna anoint you for the dreams that are in your heart. And we are not gonna let all the accusations or the influence from the outside or the negative thoughts from the inside stop you from doing what God has created you for. I'm telling you right now, the enemy is absolutely terrified that you may actually pursue the dreams that are on your heart. He's absolutely terrified that you'll pursue the dreams that are on your heart. He can't stop you. The best He can do is convince you not to pursue them. Do you know what it says? It says that the anointing breaks the yoke. You know, you think about, you know, animals, when they would plow the fields, they would be yoked. It was the thing that they would put on their shoulder. It slowed them down, it held them back. It's the anointing that breaks through the things that are slowing you down and holding you back. We're going to anoint you next week. Here's your homework for this week. I know you're like, are you kidding me? Like first uni, now school, and finally, church, what's wrong with you? All right, here's your homework. I want you to dream again this week. Man, I want you to dream about what God could do with your life if you handed it completely to Him. I want you to dream about what could do if you just gave Him your whole heart and we're going to anoint you for that purpose. Is that good? We're going to stand and sing. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.